0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you want to meet with us, you want to speak to us, you want to encourage us, you want to affirm us as your children whom you love so dearly and for whom you have wonderful plans. So help us by your Holy Spirit as we listen to what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, it was good to have so many different folks taking part this morning, and the singing was really quite brilliant. I didn't sing a note, because I was saving my voice in case I would start uh, coughing. So, a few verses, first of all, from John chapter 4. It's a long passage, but we're only going to read a few verses. The time when our Lord Jesus met with the Samaritan woman at a well. Reading in John chapter 4 from verse 21. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Have you found that when you attempt to speak to someone who isn't a Christian and tell them something of what the Lord Jesus means to you and what he could mean to them, in some, some situations, I have found the reply I get is, you know, I'm not really religious. And I smile and I say, well that's wonderful because neither am I. Uh, I go on to explain that being a Christian is not about being religious. God forbid. That can do for all the other religions that have no salvation. But being a Christian is all about having a personal relationship With almighty God the creator of the ends of the earth the Lord of all things that's something very special and we just sang in our song just now about hungering for the ways of God and when we become Christians our appetite changes does it not yes of course it does we lose appetite for things that God can't approve and won't bless And we gain an appetite for what God will approve and will bless. And there are many things that he wants to build into our lives that are part and parcel of this new relationship we have with him. I don't usually use kind of quirky ways of trying to get people to remember things, but (laughs) what I'm doing this morning is a little unusual for me. We just said that Knowing the Lord Jesus is about having a special, unique, life-changing relationship. (coughs) Now, we've been singing songs this morning, some of you have been singing songs this morning, spelling quite long words, even with the children. But it's not hard to spell S-H-I-P. So, out of this relationship, what other ships, within this whole experience of this new relationship, what other ships are meant to be part and parcel Of our Christian lives. Well, let's start with fellowship. There are three great statements in the Bible, three word statements in English, which tell us what God is like. One says God is light, one says God is love, and one we read a moment ago says God is spirit. So beginning with God is light, we go to 1 John chapter 1, and we find in that passage, which is a lovely passage of scripture, I keep turning to it again and again and again, 1 John chapter 1, what does John say there to his Christian readers? He says there, We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Uh, And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let me remind you what this word fellowship simply and basically means. It means sharing something with somebody. One other person or more than one other person is required before we can have fellowship. Two of us, minimum, for fellowship. And the Bible makes it clear that in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, we're blessed in two-way fellowship. Fellowship with God and with his Son and with the Holy Spirit. And fellowship with one another. Sharing of life. That's what it's all about. Now for us to have fellowship with God and to share our life with him fruitfully, And enjoyably, that requires honesty about our sin. Was it not an awareness of our sin that brought us in the first place to be aware of the relevance of the gospel? If we had no sin, the gospel would not interest us so much, would it? Of course not. But because the Holy Spirit convicted us of our sin and made us aware that there was a remedy for that sin in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving his forgiveness and entering into a lifelong partnership with him. Wow! This is just what I need. Yes, honesty about our sin is part of our experience of becoming Christians. The thing is, we've got to maintain that throughout our Christian life. If we're going to enjoy, underline enjoy, real fellowship with God, real two-way interaction, sharing with God our Heavenly Father and with our risen Lord, then we need to be honest about our sin. First John indicates that there is no such thing in this life as sinless perfection. But equally, John stresses the fact that sin should not be regarded as something that is inevitable. We shouldn't be expecting to sin. We should be expecting not to sin. Oh. The sad thing is that we know from history, our own history included, that even though we have a new life in our risen Lord Jesus, even though we have the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us to enable us to live God's way, we still, in various ways and various situations, commit sins. We must learn not to grade them. And dismiss some as being so trivial, they don't don't matter. Every sin is, 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 is important in the sense that it can damage our fellowship with God. The example is often quoted, and we all know very well, I think, is the example in the Old Testament of King David. That David knew God personally. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit in preparation to becoming king. And he experienced the power of God in wonderful ways in his life, and yet, he sinned most horrendously. Quite astonishing that this man who committed the double sin of adultery and murder is still described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Oh, well God knows we are weak, and God knows we will sin from time to time, and he's willing and ready to forgive us when that happens. But David tells us that there was a gap between his committing those sins and his knowing God's forgiveness. We find that in two of the Psalms. If we go back first of all to Psalm number 32, we find David saying there what life was like before he got round to confessing his sin he says blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit there is no deceit then he says this when I kept silent i.e. before I got round to confessing my sin when I kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer you see sin affects us Oh yes. If we're going to be very honest today, we have to admit that in those situations where we have sinned in our Christian lives, and not in in trivial ways, but in ways that were not trivial, God saw to it that we were miserable for a while until we got round to confessing. That's exactly what David is talking about. Then he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and you did not cover and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And of course there's further reference to this in an even better known Psalm, in Psalm number fifty one, where we find David referring to the same occasion and saying he prayed wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me cleanse me and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow so really we often use the phrase make sure you keep short accounts with God well that's all about our sins and failures because some of us have made the great mistake in the past of sinning against God and being utterly ashamed of ourselves and doing nothing about it for quite a long time the fact is the sooner we deal with it the better the sooner we deal with it the better to have fellowship with God who is the light requires honesty about our sin and it requires you see Purity from our sin. That's why it requires this honesty. Because it requires purity from our sin. If we go over to Titus, chapter 2, we find Paul writing to this man and saying, amongst other things, Uh, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. The purpose of Jesus' death was to save us from our sins and that included a process of purification, purifying us, from all wickedness and all sin. A people for himself, eager to do what is good, not just avoiding what is evil, but positively being eager to do what is pleasing to God and good for others and ourselves. It's true, we know from the Gospels, that the trouble we have with sin comes not so much from the outside but from the inside you see some trouble comes from the outside in the form of temptation undoubtedly so but, but Jesus emphasised clearly and bluntly that it was from within From what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean and for from within he says out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice deceit, lewdness envy, slander, arrogance and folly all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. It's rather shocking in a sense to realize that things like envy and deceit and greed and slander are put by Jesus in the same bracket as murder and adultery. He takes sin very seriously And so must we. And of course, we appreciate more than ever the value of the sacrifice our Lord Jesus made on the cross when we have to come and say again, sorry Lord, I'm ashamed of myself, I know I shouldn't have said that, thought that, done that, but I did. And here I am again to ask for your forgiveness. And in writing uh, one of his letters Peter says to these Christians he's writing to now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth oh, I thought it was Jesus who did the purifying, yes but we have to cooperate with him and the great promise that comes out in First John chapter 1 of course is one to which many of us have had to come back many times if we confess our sins God is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and purify us From all unrighteousness. The most unhappy people you will probably ever meet are not unbelievers. They're backslidden Christians. I've met some of them. You see, this is an indication of God's love, really. His love is a love that will not let us go, but neither will it let us off. Praise God. When we sin, he puts us in correction mode to seek to bring us to reality and to repentance and to the enjoyment of his forgiveness. You see, fellowship with God is not something we just have on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening. No, 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 no. It's all day long, every day, back and forward, here and there. Just sharing our whole life with God. Some people find it easier to do it with the Father. Some prefer to do it with the Lord Jesus. Same difference, really. God. Holy Spirit, yes. Is that what you do? Is that how you live your life? I, I'm not ashamed to testify that the older I get, the more I find that life is a kind of perpetual fellowship with God and it's wonderful. Some old Christians become very sour and embittered and, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. That's not God's intention. The our last day on earth, he wants us to enjoy happy fellowship with him. Just sharing life with him. Just talking to Father God. Talking to the Lord Jesus. What do you think of this Lord? What should I do about that Lord? That's the way we're meant to live. Fellowship with a God who is light. The second statement in John, First John is the same and similar to tone. It's God is light first of all and then it's God is love. God is love. And God is love Emphasizes that he wants to love us and will love us, and he wants us also to love him. We share with him very largely through prayer. We fellowship with him through growing in obedience to him and growing in usefulness to him as we become more able to live out the Christian life to his glory and as a witness to others. In John's First John chapter 4, he speaks about the Father sending his Son. And he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son to the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Fellowship is the first word we've thought about this morning. The second one is discipleship. Jesus in the great commission he gave to his early church leaders said go and make disciples of all nations. What's the difference in a disciple and a convert? Well a convert is somebody who has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, as Saviour and Lord and that's a great beginning but it's only a beginning and on the, that beginning we are to build a life of discipleship because discipleship is all about learning remember any of your Latin from school days? I remember this little bit of Latin. Discipoli picturum spectati. Disciples, learners, look at the picture. Yeah. Still can remember some Latin, yes? Why not? We're meant to be disciples. You see, we don't just enroll in the School of Christ. He did say we should do that. He said, come to me. and then he said, learn of me. Learn of me. You're enrolled now in the School of Christ. And unlike universities and colleges where you have a short course and then you graduate and that's it all over. Oh no, it's not all over for the Christian. Because we're enrolled in lifelong learning. Mm. Yes, if your experience is like mine, you will probably find that the second half of your Christian life has been a more fruitful time of learning than the first half what? Well, that's my experience anyway the more we take seriously this responsibility, which is also a huge privilege of learning in the school of Christ. Which teachers brought out the best in you when you were in school? Teachers are enormously different. Some are appalling, some are pathetic. They can't teach for toffee. We don't bring out the best in their pupils. But some teachers are gifted and they're brilliant and they just bring out the best in the pupils they teach. But there's no better teacher than our Lord Jesus. He's our teacher. Let me disciple you, he says. And of course, in church circles, particularly in a very secular society in which we're living today, a lot of new Christians need what we call discipling. One to one. I used to do it with certain people in government we'd have one-to-one sessions every week, or every two weeks, or whatever it was. Just one-to-one. And that's invaluable. It it, it means taking time, it involves sacrifice, but it's invaluable for the new convert to have that one-to-one contact with an older Christian who can encourage them, and who can also confront them when necessary. It's partly all about accountability. Being willing to be accountable to someone else for our behaviour, for our lifestyle, for whatever. So, we're thinking now about discipleship. And discipleship is obviously a response to a sending Father. John wrote about the Father sending his Son. Sending his Son. Jesus didn't come on his own bat from heaven. He and his Father collaborated It was a decision of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Son should come to earth and do for us human beings what nobody else could do, in dying for our sins. And again and again in John's writings, we find this uh, thought of the Father sending the Son. In John chapter 5, for example, Verse 24, Jesus says, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has passed out of the realm of death and into the realm of life. Again and again, this is emphasized. Jesus kept saying, I have been sent from heaven. Even after he was raised from the dead, he said to his disciples, The Father has sent me. I'm sending you. So when someone goes to the trouble and the sacrifice, That God has gone to for you and me. To send his son. To die in our place. To suffer for our sins. So that we can know complete forgiveness. And have peace with God. Our response to that. Ought to be a response of willingness to learn. Willingness to grow. Not only in understanding of God's ways. And God's provision and God's purposes. But growing in that wonderful love relationship. That we have with the heavenly Father. Yes, being willing to live as a disciple of Jesus is a response to ascending Father, and of course it's also a response to the suffering Saviour. Jesus took our place and died on the cross, suffering for our sins, to so bring us to God. As Paul began to write that great chapter 15 in First Corinthians, which is all about the resurrection, He began by saying to these Christians in Corinth, I received what I passed on. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Just let's pause for a moment and think of the damage, the hurt, the pain, the harm, the death it is happening all over the world as we gather here in this place this morning all because of sin all because of man's awful selfishness and greed and all the rest people suffer when sin is unrestrained and our response to a suffering Savior must always be a very clear one of desire to grow in our knowledge of him who was willing to suffer so horribly, so drastically for us. And by the Roman Christians, Paul says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While well, we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God is light. But now that we know him through the Lord Jesus, we can have fellowship with him in all our waking moments. God is love. And because of his love he sent his son to bear our sins in his body on the tree and to go on loving us and to go on praying for us now in the heavens. Our response should be one of willing, lifelong discipleship. God is light. God is love. What's that? What's left now? Well, What is left is what we read this morning where the Lord Jesus said to this woman at the well, God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. It is clear, very clear, not only from this statement of our Lord Jesus, because he says a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. The world is full of people who turn their backs on God. Who ignore God. Who deny his very existence. And God looks down. And says, where are the people who will worship me? Where are the people who will worship me? He desires to be worshipped. Not because he is on some massive heavenly ego trip. Far, far from it. If we go back to the Psalms again and again, we find the Psalmists calling us to worship God. There it is in Psalm number 96. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 99. Again, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, exalt the Lord our God, for the Lord our God is holy. God desires our worship. Now in our interaction with God, in discipleship, in a sense it's God teaching us, we are receiving from God. (coughs) And really, also, in fellowship, yes, we give to God in fellowship, but he is giving so much to us of his love and his care and his wisdom and his power in fellowship with him. But when it comes to worship that 's in the league by itself, because this time we we are giving something to God that he treasures, he treasures it. This is a apparent. Loves when a child comes or a grandchild comes and says, I love you, Dad. I love you, Mama. I love you, Grandpa. When they come and express their value they have placed upon us, if that's what worship is. It's worship. it's saying to God, you are worth everything to me. Am I upsetting you just a wee bit this morning? <laughs> well, it's for your good, I can assure you because we can all be a bit easygoing about worship and think, well, we like singing songs, and yes, they're wonderful new songs, and it's great to sing them, but is there more to worship than that? Well, yes, there is. Worship is offered by God's people. And we happen to live in Scotland, a Presbyterian nation for many generations. And the Presbyterians, in their Reformed faith copied really what was happening in the Jewish synagogue rather than what was happening in the Jewish temple because the synagogue was a place of learning it was a place of teaching and preaching and so, Presbyterians will unashamedly say to you well of course for us, the central act in a church service is not the worship the worship, that's really part of the preliminaries that's just a kind of warming up The real thing is when we get around to the preaching and the teaching and we hear God's word, that's the real thing. Yes, it's the real thing, but is it the primary thing? You see, worship is what we give to God. Preaching and teaching is what God gives to us. And surely what we give to God in one sense, in his appreciation of it, is more important in a way than what God gives to us. Oh, we need what he has to give to us. Of course we do but it's interesting that, you see, in the last 30, 40 years, worship has taken on a new kind of turn in the UK and indeed around the world. Our Pentecostal friends have been worshipping freely and physically for a long hundred years. But, 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 our staid Scottish people, be the Presbyterians or <laughs> whatever they are, uh, tend to be kind of a bit somber and a bit solemn and religious. See, when I was a boy, you you went to the church on tiptoe, practically. Shh. Oh, don't talk in here! This is not the place to talk. What rubbish! I know there's a place, of course, there's a place for stillness and quietness and coming before God in an atmosphere of worship. Of course, there is. But you see, worship at its best is a wonderful mixture. It involves go back to the Psalms. I go back to the kind of worship they had in the temple, not the not not the not the synagogue, the temple. They had all sorts of instruments. They had a, singers who were trained to sing, and their whole thing was to lead the congregation in powerful, powerful singing. And the worship described in the Psalms is not just with our voices, or just with our minds and voices. It's with our hands, with our knees, with our whole bodies. And yes, in some churches it's not uncommon to see somebody dancing around the church during a time of worship. Wonderful, God loves it. Oh, yes. We're expressing our love for him. We're expressing our thanks to him. We're expressing our praise to him. I want to finish on one more note. One reason why we need worship to be developed more than it is in most churches. Valued more than it is in many churches. And practised, and I don't mean that carelessly. Practised, not just in the sense of doing it, but in the sense, to some extent, of preparing to do it. Why? Why do we need this? Well, we go back for our last scripture to Second Chronicles chapter twenty. That's taking us back a long, long time, into the days of Jehoshaphat being king of Judah. And what is happening in the Middle East now? What's happening there in the days of Jehoshaphat? An army of enemies turned up on their doorstep, and the people of Judah were panic-stricken. But the king was a wise and godly man and called the nation to prayer and fasting. And as they prayed and prayed and prayed and cried out to God, the Spirit of God came on a young man called Jehaziel, and he brought a word from the Lord directly to that situation. And that word includes these words. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down, do this, do that, the next thing. You won't have to fight. Take up your positions. And see the deliverance the Lord will give you. And Jehoshaphat, when he heard these words, he was deeply moved. How do we know? Because he bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah fell down in worship before the Lord. They believed the word of God. They believed the battle was not theirs but God's and God would deal with this enemy on their doorstep and he did. And as the army went out the next day to face the enemy guess who went first? Not the soldiers but the singers. It's a bit like the old Scottish regiment sending the bagpipes out first terrify the life out of the enemy and the bagpipes out first. But you see, this, this was what they were told to do they were told to worship, they were told to praise and out they went singing and singing and praising and worshipping and God cannot resist that sort of thing he loves it and he responds to it you know there have been stories told of people who have been supernaturally healed not when somebody was laying hands on them and praying for them, that can happen too but healed supernaturally in the midst of a time of worship everybody was caught up in worship and all of a sudden, oh, 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 where's my pain? It's gone. Yes, yes, God responds to worship. He doesn't just respond to pleading. He responds to praising. And that means this whole business of worship is an essential ingredient and component in what we call spiritual warfare. There are enemies on our doorsteps their enemies at work evil people servants of Satan in their thousands and tens of thousands yes in their millions around the world people who are against God not just indifferent to God but against God and people who are ruthless and brutal in the things they do in their anger and fury what is the answer? dear David Cameron thinks he has the answer he hasn't got the answer He can do his part. Politicians, leaders of nations can do their part. But, 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 bottom line is, these enemies that are asserting their power and being absolutely brutal throughout the world today, they are driven by demonic powers. And no political answer will meet that. It's got to be a spiritual answer. And you know who holds the key? You and I hold the key. We hold the key. Sometimes people, live, when they get a bit on in life, they make a list of things to do before they die. <laughs> so it's a bit morbid, but anyway. Um, uh, so one thing that I really would, would love to do before I die would be to participate, not once in a while, but regularly, frequently, in worship that was so motivated and controlled and propelled by the Spirit of God that any demonic powers would run for their lives. And the place where the worship was held would just be ringing with the praises of God. I don't forget the time that my wife and I went to Birmingham and went into a conference there where there were 10,000 people in the NEC in Birmingham. 10,000 people, especially these West Indian ladies with their great big hats. And, oh, the worship was absolutely wonderful, overwhelming. And I think this is one of the burdens the Lord has given me to really encourage groups of God's people to crank up, if you can understand what I mean, our our whole approach to worship. To say, hey, wait a minute. Yes, that was good this morning. We had we be able to use, use these songs from Kessie or wherever they came from and they helped us to sing. But one of the enemies of worship is this. Well, this I close. Worship in so many churches, and I don't mean this critically or unkindly because I love you and care about you, but worship in many churches is bitty. Bitty. It's sometimes called a hymn sandwich. Hymn sandwich. Because in many churches, the church to which I belong and included, we sing a hymn, a prayer, sing another song, do something else, and there's constant interruption of the flow of worship. Worship to become as good as it can be for God's glory and pleasure needs to be not interrupted. The worship leaders are people who are gifted both musically and spiritually to lead worship. But worship leaders have one weakness that some of them need to overcome. Not here, not here, but in some places. They love talking. A worship leader is not there to talk. He or she is there to lead worship. And the worship leader must be seen to be worshipping if the other people are going to enter in to the extent they should and you see it's a wonderful thing before I retired the last few years in government I had a brilliant worship leader and she would lead the worship with her guitar, one instrument, that was all she had one instrument, a guitar and she would lead the worship for 20 minutes, 25 minutes and it would just flow on and flow on occasionally maybe somebody coming in with a prophetic word or uh, something of that sort but apart from that no interruption the worship just flowed and when you take time and allow worship to develop and to flow in that way what's happening? you feel each song you sing you're getting a little higher up a little closer to the heavenly throne and it's brilliant you have this heightened sense of God's presence that's what I want to be in regularly more than I am nowadays God is light God is love, God is spirit and the more we get these components all in place in our Christian lives the more we shall be pleasing God the more we shall be enjoying God and the more we shall be a powerful witness to a lost world let's pray Father we thank you that in a world where so many people do not know you personally. To them you are a complete stranger, a complete unknown. Father, how can we thank you enough that we whom you have saved from our sin and made alive in Jesus Christ, we know you. We know you as not some distant potentate We know you as a heavenly Father who comes near to us in your Son and by your Spirit. Father, we thank you for this priceless privilege of knowing Jesus, knowing you, knowing the Spirit of God. Teach us, Father, to practice discipleship more and more, to experience and enjoy fellowship more and more, and to offer you more and more of the kind of worship you desire and deserve. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.